0: So let's shift over to the Western Conference. We got our Eastern Conference All-Star team in. Let's go to our Western Conference starters to begin with. Not going to be many surprises here, I'm guessing, Jeff. Um, Starters we have in our backcourt, SGA and Luka Doncic. Uh, Starters we have in our frontcourt, Nikola Jokic, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, any specific player or person you want to talk about in uh, our starting lineup for the Western Conference All-Star team?
1: I first, when, when we made this, I think the thing I was most excited about was to talk about Luka. Um, I think we had a conversation about him about a month ago on here, and I just think he continues to be the most fascinating player in the NBA to me. And I wish... I wish I had chosen my words better. I I I still stand by the things that I said, and I I still do believe, and I'd be happy to, for those who didn't get to listen to that episode, the basis of my opinion about Luca is that while he's an exceptionally talented individual player, as long as he plays the style that he does, the teams that he play on will be the ceiling of the teams that he plays on will be capped relative to his skill or relative to players of his skill and impact. And I wish I had chosen my words better because the, the NBA community or at least NBA fan community and the content creation community is so polarizing. And it's like, it's like you have to take the most extreme opinion and just stand by it to get to just try an engagement farm and i feel like it came off that that's what i was trying to do and it's not what i was trying to do at all and it came off like i wasn't fully appreciating how awesome lucas and how he's just this otherworldly talent who can do crazy things like score fucking set have a 70 point triple double and like just do all these amazing on things 90
0: percent true shooting
1: <laughs> right but it get the team but the team he played wasn't a great defense so it doesn't matter like oh my god I sent that that night. That night, for yeah, obviously nobody's privy to our text conversations, the discourse around Luca's dominance made me so mad that I basically just in our text sent XJ old Larry Bird clips so that I could just get mad about how fucking terrible the defense was back then and how nobody talks about it. Um, but I digress. Um, I just wish I had chosen my words better because I, I I want people to be open to what I'm saying without it seeming like I'm. Oh I don't want to be one of those people who's like, "Oh, Luca can never win a championship. Like no, I don't I don't believe that Luca can never win a championship. When I say these things, I'm always speaking relative to the tier or the conversation that that person is clearly in. And to me, Luca is very clearly in the MVP conversation. Like he is very clearly one of the most valuable players in the league. And I think relative to his peers, relative to other players who are amongst the most valuable players in the league. Luca is kind of hamstrung by the fact that when he plays the style that he does, he elevates other, he elevates role players, but it's hard as another really, really good player to maintain their impact playing next to him. Whether that's, you know, a Kyrie Irving or a Chris Porzingis or Jalen Brunson or you bring in an ex- external talent, you know, like think about Devin Booker playing next to Luca. Think about just there's so many names that you could put in. And it's like, okay, well, that's kind of a messy fit if you put them next to Luca. I think as long as he plays this way, I believe that he, it's going to be hard for him to see the top most team success. And I still feel that way. But I, I want to make it clear that, man, is this guy just like an amazing, amazing talent. And I'm super open to being wrong because like maybe he's just so overwhelmingly good. It, it doesn't matter. Um, so that's where I'm at right now with him. And I, it's just been incredible to watch him recently. I wanted to say that.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate the clarification on your stance. I mean, I understood your stance, but I I totally think it's it's helpful to to reiterate some of that stuff. At least for me, how I think about Luca is that I think our disagreement, at least, is that I think that Luka is good enough individually that he doesn't need those guys, right? Like, he doesn't need to be put next to a guy who's as good as he is offensively to win at the highest level. Like, I don't think he—it's like, yeah, I do think it would be a little bit of a messy fit with, like, a Devin Booker or a a player like that. Even a Jalen Brunson, uh, you know, as we've seen, I I don't think Jalen Brunson was as good as he is now— um, of course, but, you know, that, that aside, it still seemed like a bit of a messy fit. So I I just think he's good enough that you can surround him with, <clears throat> you know, a Vince Williams Jr. type. No, we, sorry. We were talking about Vince Williams Jr. <laughs> before, the, <laughs> before we started the pod. Um, but, you know, like guys who play hard defense, um, you know, can shoot threes, can do a little bit more off the dribble, but like don't need the ball a ton, don't command high usage. And I think you could surround Luka with those guys and, and they can be really successful. I think the best point that, that I thought you brought up, Jeff, that I didn't consider strongly when we had that conversation was the fact that, the fact that you know, it's hard to find players who are good enough, like that are good enough to like get you to that level, but that are also okay with playing that role. Because we see a guy like OG Ananobi, who I think would clearly be an amazing partner for Luka Doncic. It would be like a perfect partnership. A guy like OG Ananobi is like, I want more on-ball reps like I want, you know, I want more usage myself, right? So these guys, when they reach a certain level, they're not going to be like kind of like chill with just being like, I'll spot up in the corner, wait for Luka to kick it to me every now and then, and then I'll just play extremely hard-nosed defense on the other end. (laughs) Like, I I think that that is like a true human aspect of the dynamic that's going to be hard to find and so to me that's like the most limiting factor for for luca but but otherwise yeah
1: i do find it weird that grant williams has struggled so much in dallas like he's 25 years old um he shot really good in boston the last few years and i brought up the boston white magic there's something there's something (laughs) going on there um You know, like the last two seasons, 64% true shooting, 60% true shooting, 41% from three, 39.5% from three. The three-point shooting has only dipped a little bit, but man, he's just been – everything else has fallen off completely, especially from the mid-range. And I don't want to confuse correlation with causation. I'm not saying it's Lucas' fault, but I am curious how – if you really do- dove into the film in Boston, if his roles were just different, or if it's just variants, and and if the shootings just worse, I I'd assume it's the latter. But uh, it is interesting that he's just he's just been terrible this season in Dallas.
0: Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, obviously, I would guess that it's just him, <laughs> like because I mean, I I don't think it's like super easy to play the role. I I don't know how different his role is in Boston. I mean, I think he wanted an expanded role and i think he has like the same role like he's the you know he spots up in the corner and they ask him to play defense and he doesn't do it that well and then he has to hit he has to hit shots when he's open um i mean it's not a ton of difference maybe it's different between Tatum and Luka in terms of their heliocentricness but when you have Tatum and Brown right like i feel like those guys are going to soak up usage equivalent to or more than that of Luka so it's just like you're just kind of playing the same role but you're like second fiddle to one player as opposed to you know third fiddle to two players. And obviously Grant Williams is not second or third fiddle, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Um, and of course, Luca has a long history of elevating other role player types. So like mm-hmm. um, I just I just can't get past or it's hard for me to get past like we we discussed a hypothetical team build for him. I don't even know where the Mavericks go like how like because they've tried they've tried both extremes almost like i know they haven't built like a full big three with stars and scrubs but they have tried you know they made the big trade for porzingis um they didn't they they didn't see value in retaining brunson because they were like oh well next to luca is he worth nine figures clearly that was was (laughs) mistaken they they traded for Kyrie irving um And then they've also done the thing, you know, they made the Western Conference Finals with uh, a worse Jalen Brunson and a bunch of role players with Luka just basically carrying the load. And I do think that, like, they're starting to feel pressure in terms of how can we make sure that Luka retires a Maverick? What is the optimal team build? So I guess I'm going to turn it to you because we discussed a little bit the last time we talked about him, like, oh, like, I think it's doable to – build around Luca? I I know in theory, you, you basically just want to surround him with shooting and defense, but do you have any, like, where do the Mavericks go from here? Because I, I I do think that we both very firmly agree that like Luca is a fringe MVP candidate who probably isn't going to win MVP, but like he is an MVP level player. So how do the, how do the Mavericks help him get over the top to where the team is good enough that all of a sudden he's going to be in MVP discussions.
0: Yeah, I, I don't have a good answer to that specific question about where the Mavericks go. I, I do have an answer to the question of what's a good team build for Luka. And um, <laughs> it, it, it is probably a team that has, you know, uh, the aforementioned OG Ananobi, uh, probably a team that has, you know, a guy like Quentin Grimes, who's, you know, a, a great defensive player and shoots, you know, upwards of 38% from three. A guy like Dante DiVincenzo, who can wreak havoc defensively and shoots, you know, 42% from three seemingly consistently at this point. Um, You know, a guy like Deuce McBride, who's an excellent defensive player who also shoots tremendously from three. Um, You know, and and a guy who can take off some of the weight from him, a a better version of the Jalen Brunson that he had with him in Dallas. Uh, the current Jalen Brunson, <laughs> um, like I, I'm, I'm obviously joking, but also pr- pretty serious. Like, if I was to say what's the best team build for Luka, I would say you pull Randall off of the Knicks and you put Luka Doncic on that team. Um, it, it, I think that that would be, I don't know how you would beat that team, uh, honestly. I don't know how any team would beat that team,
1: yeah. Especially Luka is elite, at um, he kind of has what Harden had in. Houston, in terms of getting the most out of limited centers, like both both Dwight Powell and Derek Lively have true shooting percentages above 70% this season. I think it's 73 yeah. and 74%. Yeah. And that's almost entirely due to playing with Luka. So, like, we know the Knicks have two of those guys who Luka would just absolutely maximize. And then you put him on a team with tons of shooting and defense. Um, I... I I don't know, you know, and for everybody knows that XJ is talking about the Knicks. I, I don't know. I, I feel like the Knicks would want to keep Randall.
0: <laughs> you know, come on. Come would be, would be on. Be hilarious. No, not with Randall. That would that would not be the ideal team build, in my of opinion. Course, of
1: course, I agree.
0: I'm just saying that <laughs>
1: there I mean, there are people who just view basketball differently and they'd be like, oh, man. Brunson, Luca, and Randall—the big three—you know, like they, that's how they would view it. And
0: no, right. I, 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 gotta imagine, like, you know, and I'm not saying that the, the Dallas is never gonna want to trade Luca. Like, they are just never gonna want to. Like, you just don't trade an MVP-like lo- level player in his prime, potentially even pre-prime. Um, you just don't. Like, you go down with the ship. I think, in my opinion, but if they were ever forced into a situation to trade him, I mean julius Randle is a you know obviously a hometown guy um Knicks have a horde of draft picks and and potential young players i mentioned a couple that would probably be involved in a deal quinn grimes and deuce mcbride um if they were ever to to to, to make a trade for luca but yeah i just imagine that that is a situation that would work really well with obviously without julius Randle because i just don't think that's too much usage like that is like you can't have randall uh, who is not the best spot up shooter, obviously, um, and that's probably being kind, and and Jalen Brunson and Luca. Like I think Brunson and Luca is enough. Um, you know, even in the Tibbs system, Luca would love to ISO and 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 dance with the ball and you know do do whatever he wants to do. I think that I think that'd be tremendous for them. But that 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 aside, like obviously, where can Dallas go from here? I'm not really sure. I don't have a great answer for that question, but um, I just I do think that. I can imagine, you know, Luca is what, 24 years old. I can imagine him getting into a situation. Um, I think he's, oh, he's going to be 25 in February. I can imagine him getting into a situation before he's like 30. That would be, we would see him in championship contention as like the heliocentric, heliocentric driver of an offense.
1: It is kind of from a team building perspective. It is a catch 22. Like, Think about all these really good role players, or not all, but most of these really good role players you find. They they develop naturally, right? So like Derek White, for example, it's not like he just randomly was great in Boston. It was a slow rise in San Antonio where he played a lot of minutes off of, you know, in different team builds. And he grew and he learned and he evolved as a player and you don't just go to Dallas and learn and evolve like you're thrown immediately into the fire and so that is one of the things that really really makes it difficult you take a look at a guy like Josh Green I think that Josh Green profiles as somebody who could be one of those really good role players I think he could be a in theory a three and D plus guy because he's shown some off the bounce game some ability to attack closeouts but there aren't, there isn't trial and out error because you go to Dallas, you have Luca. They're expected to compete right now. They're trying to compete, and so I do think that one of the really tough things for Dallas right now is it's it, it's hard to acquire a free agent that would fit with Luca because they're just not available. You you want those guys. You want those guys on your team. Uh, you you go through the list of guys who you say, oh yeah. Great fit with Luca. I bet the team that that person's on probably wants that player. So, you know, sure, like Alex Caruso. Like Alex Caruso would be an amazing pickup for them if they were able to get him. Um, and Chicago just lost last night to Toronto at home. So, like, I know there was some reporting today that Chicago isn't looking to trade anybody. Like, if you're a Bulls fan you're listening to this, this team has got to make moves. Like, you cannot just stand Pat with this this core you cannot do it it's just there there's no direction um but i i i don't know how Dallas is supposed to acquire talent i guess that works with luca because if it's through the draft okay how many more draft picks you know like look look at their roster right now how many of these guys were drafted um uh, olivier maxence prosper young guy who's expected to develop has no chance of developing jaden hardy young guy trying to develop can't develop can't they can't live with his lumps even when his talent josh green josh green a wing who can guard up and tries really hard and can shoot even if the shooting is um shaky you know he's shooting 39 percent from three this season uh there's just no consistent role for these guys and no way to no, no development curve or no development path and so I don't know what you're supposed to do. I feel like the Mavs have dug themselves into a spot that's really tough for them.
0: Yeah, and I agree with you. I very strongly agree with you. And I, I think you're making great points. That's why I don't have an answer to the question of like, what can the Mavs do? And if the question is like, can Luka be, you know, the the central piece of a championship team in Dallas specifically, I'd probably be on your side. Like, yeah, probably not. I don't think so. But can he be in general, and will he be? I think the answer to that is yes, because I think he's going to end up somewhere else. I just, I, I think he's probably going to end up somewhere else. And like I said, if you were to ship him into a team like New York, let's say, you immediately have it. You immediately have the championship contender as long as you don't give up, you know, the, the, the right pieces. Again, you probably have to give up a Grimes and a McBride in a deal, but. You'd still have it, right? Like that's my point. So I, I guess it's like in Dallas. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's much hope for them. <laughs> I'm sorry uh, to Mavericks fan. I'm not, not laughing. It's just like it's, it's a tough situation. Um, but, but for Luca specifically, I think there's a lot of upside that you can see. He can get into the right situation. I think, I think I can see it happen for him.
1: Yeah i I assume we'll never know. Um, one part of this we haven't really brought up, and the european players just seem very loyal like you know yan uh, like you know you have you have you have you have jokic and just historically you have dirk you know maybe maybe that's where i'm driving this from but it does seem like they are willing to to wait it out and they want to try to make it work and they they put it on themselves and there's a lot of you know humility and a lot of um self reflection and so me personally, I think he's in Dallas for the long run, the long haul.
0: I, I think maybe that's true. Generally, I'd have to think more about the players, but the, but I think Luca is different. <laughs> I don't think I don't see it for Luca. I see Luca as like, get me out of here. I want to win somewhere. I don't care about these people or this, this not, not that he won't care. I'm sure he cares and cares about the people and the organization and everybody that he's like come up with. And, but I just see him as like, that's not his prime priority and he's not going to value that over winning a championship. I feel like it seems at least, and if it's not true, he's a really good actor. It seems like losing is like devastating to him. And I think he's going to want to win more than he's going to want to be loyal to to the Mavericks organization. At least that, that's my perception.
1: Yeah, I agree. But like, I, I mean, I think someone like Dirk, I think he wanted to win more than anything. I think that's what made his ultimate championship so satisfying. You know, you could you could legitimately make the argument that Dirk won the most satisfying championship of like, I don't know, the 21st century. Like, I don't know how many stack up to it. That guy, this guy was like, how many playoff early playoff exits did he have? How many times like he was the 2007 they lost as the one seed when they won 67 games. They had a number of first round exits and he stuck it out and through multiple coaches, you know, Avery Johnson and Don Nelson and losing Steve Nash and how many iterations of that team and he, the one constant was Dirk and his loyalness to the city. And I don't think it would be reasonable to be like, Oh, well, he must've just been too loyal and he didn't care about winning. I would imagine winning drove him. Um, And eventually he saw it all through and they finally were able to get a team, which, you know, in retrospect was probably your dream team. It was like this great, there was this great offensive option surrounded by def- defense and shooting they were one of the earliest iterations of that team you know kid was an amazing shooter at that point in dallas they had page at the end of his run they had jason terry they had sean marion who could shoot some threes they had tyson chandler in the middle you know back then when interior defense was even more important because threes weren't as big a thing and, the, and so my point is is that i do think that it's possible that Winning could drive Luca, but it could just be, okay, I'm, I'm going to stick it out here and I'm just going to put more pressure on the organization. And I, That's why I think it's kind of fascinating to try and think about it from the Mavericks' perspective and just think about where they go forward. And for me, it, it starts to end with Kyrie Irving. I think eventually they're going to realize that they've got to turn him into multiple assets because their depth of assets right now is just so poor.
0: Yeah, I would absolutely if i was, you know, running the mavericks, that would be the person i'd be trying to move. i just don't know what you get for him. i mean, he's still a tremendous, amazing player obviously, an unbelievable player, but just with everything surrounding him, his availability, i mean, we uh, you know, spoiler, he's not going to make our all-star team here <laughs> because he has played like 60 something percent of their games and it's just not not enough. actually, he's played 57% of their games so far, 27 of 47 games. so I just, I think that's the guy to move because I think you'd rather have, and I'd rather have, I mean, maybe you wouldn't, I'd rather have a guy two or three guys who are just better fits with Luca than somebody who is singularly at the level of ability that Kyrie Irving has. Um, but I just think that they're, 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 they're stuck with them. I don't know. I don't know what you're going to get with for, for Kyrie Irving at this standpoint, but, um, I, I, I would say uh, before we move to our reserves, um, Somebody who—that's I, 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 what I was gonna say. I think that Dirk believed that they could—they could build a, a winner there. Um, he had to—he had to buy in. I think you know he was sold on that—that that idea, and he bought into that idea, and it ended up being true and, and paying dividends, and that's great. Um, I don't know that Luke is gonna be able to be bought into that idea. Um, somebody who is probably not bought into the idea that they can win a championship. I would imagine is LeBron James. Um, and I just wanted to give a shout out to LeBron James, who we have as a starter. Um, LeBron James who we have as a starter at 39 years old <laughs> a starter in in the Western Conference All-Star team and it's not based on a fan vote it's not based on you know a, a, a lifetime achievement award it's based on merit like literally LeBron James deserves to be uh one of the three best and most impactful front court players in the Western Conference at age 39 years old like I just want to stop for a second I know we've done a couple of times like talked about like the ridiculousness of that we're seeing with LeBron James, but it's just that this fact is is completely insane to me. Um, he's played 44 or 49 games, so he's been available. Um, you know, he's, he's his shooting's been incredible 39%, one of the best numbers of his career. Uh, just everything he's been able to do on both ends is, is having a renaissance defensive season overall. It's just been completely incredible, and I just think it's amazing that we're we're here with LeBron James being, uh, you know, a, a clear and obvious choice for our our Western Conference All Star team.
1: Yeah, it's it's so funny. Um, I remember ten years ago in 2014, in his last season in Miami, when Spolstra was giving Bosh and Wade rest days as LeBron like just tried to carry that Heat team by himself through stretches. And I remember people being like, eventually LeBron's going to have to pass the torch. You know, like when, when is he going to be the guy who is rested because like they're there, it's okay to rest him. And then he went to Cleveland and people were like, finally, there's a young guy, Kyrie Irving. He's going to get to pass the torch. And then Kyrie gets hurt in their first playoff run and Kyrie's Kyrie. So like, and, and I would argue, honestly, that the best stretch of Kyrie's career was the three years he played with LeBron in Cleveland, like the most reliable he was and the most consistent his output was. But even then it never came close to LeBron. It never even approached it. And LeBron was still the guy playing crazy games, playing all these games. And then he goes to, and then he goes to LA and he has that one, that first season where he gets hurt and LA misses the playoffs they sign a youngish Anthony Davis, you know, they are not signed. They trade for a youngish Anthony Davis. Yeah. And this is the guy, this is supposed to be the guy that <laughs> takes, takes the mantle from him and allows LeBron to finally, you know, ease his take the foot off the throttle and pass the mantle, pass the torch and Anthony Davis hasn't taken it. And now all of a sudden Anthony Davis is 32 years old, like, and he's, Never once been better than LeBron. Never once in their time on the Lakers has he been a better player than LeBron. It's just – this is – unprecedented is not a strong enough word. He's just –
0: the guy, the guy he's going to pass the mantle to has always been his son. That's the, <laughs> he's yeah. waiting for, he's waiting to pass the mantle <laughs> until his son turns 21 and is in the NBA. And then hey, it's like, all right, I, finally I'll do it. I'm 42. Fine. All right, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> I'll take some that, rest po- that days. Poor
1: kid, that poor kid, man.
0: Yeah, like, no, it's, it's, I, yeah, I hope, honestly, I hope, it, I, hope
1: it, I hope it works out for him because like the expectations and what, like everybody is just like, dude, you need to be good enough so that you can play with LeBron and like, yeah, I was watching a USC game the other day and they had like, they had like one of those pregame graphics and it was like USC's big three. And then it was like two of their two best players. And then the third one was Bronny James and like for their two best players that had like their stats and stuff they do well. And then like Bronny James things was just like exists. It was like has heart and is a winner or something like that because he's averaging like five points or something like that. Yeah. Because they couldn't actually like show his stats. It's like, dude, that sucks. Like just like let the kid be a kid. Let it Let him learn.
0: (laughs) Um, but but I do think I would say for Bronny, like he seems like he has such a good head on his shoulders. Like oh yeah. like LeBron's done like a, a, a incredible job with this kid. It's like been raised in this kind of insane world that we have right now with social media and he's on social media and it's just the, the it's just he seems just so. Well adjusted, it's like incredible to me. Like, I don't, it might even be more impressive than than LeBron's NBA career is like <laughs> raising Bronny in this ridiculous social media age of of and and how well adjusted he is. So I I I think I think I mean, he can I handle th- whatever it is, you know.
1: Yeah, and I just think it's just another thing we take for granted with LeBron. Like, this has been. I mean, think about all the stories we have about you know players from previous generations. You know, like we know from the nineties that Michael Jordan was up all night, the night before a playoff game gambling in Atlantic city. You know, like that's a story that we know there's nothing like that for LeBron. There's nothing like there's no, he's just, he's been since he was 18 years old. I mean, he was gifted a Hummer before he played an NBA game. And like he got a hundred million dollar contract from Nike before he played an NBA game. He's two time on, on sports illustrated, before he'd played an NBA game on on the cover of whatever that issue was. Zero off the court issues, you know, appears to be a really great family man. I just think that when he's gone, people are going to look back. And I I hope, I hope there are people who look back and are like, oh shit, I should have appreciated him on the court. But I am very confident that there are going to be people who look back and the league is going to be a little bit more in flux and not as consistent. And we're going to be like, Man, we really took for granted having a face of the league who just carried it forward like LeBron did, because it I mean, it's just it's truly remarkable what he's done for the NBA and what he's done for himself. And like the fact that he had all these expectations and he's overachieved expectations is just
0: it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's just
1: so ridiculous. Like he's he's just been better than. And, and he stayed better uh, i i if i see about a loss for words because i don't know i don't know how to talk about this guy anymore because he's almost 40 years old and he's still a top 10 player in the nba like that's <laughs>
0: you know it's just- imagine your expectation is at 18 years old like this could be one of the greatest players ever and then you surpass that expectation like that is just right. it's just absurd yeah it's <laughs> ridiculous Um, and I, I mean, you, you mentioned like, you know, obviously LeBron is still somehow the face of the NBA and I don't know if, yeah, I don't know who's next in line for that when he finally slows down, which I'm not going to put any, put any, uh, parameters around when that might be. But if we look at our Western Conference reserves, um, we got a couple guys in the backcourt, uh, James Harden and Devin Booker. Devin Booker is someone I'm interested as, as why he's not more of a face of the NBA. Devin Booker is like the prototypical, like he plays like, you know, the the Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan style insofar as like he is, driving, he's pulling up and shooting jumpers. He's like still a mid-range maestro, you know? Like I think he shot 50% from the mid-range last year, he's shooting 47% from the mid-range this year, and they're all like self-created pull-up jumpers. Like it's and he's just like the one of the best at it. Like potentially one of the best ever at it. Um he's so good uh an american born player that you know that i think matters to the the media in some way like it doesn't matter to me personally but i hear that being a narrative a lot um actually well i'm i'm wrong he's shooting 50% from the mid range this year um actually he is 50% from the mid range 52% last year 47% the year before 51% the year before 46% the year before 49% the year before that is ridiculous that he is so effective from the mid-range on high volume one of the highest volume mid-range shooters in the nba like that that's that's like it's actually like nonsense honestly then that i'm thinking about it out loud and he's converted like his backcourt mate that we have in the western conference reserves james harden to a full-time point guard essentially this year and he's been incredible at it 96 percentile and assist percentage this year as well so i you know, this guy is this guy has been unbelievable for several years now. And the way that he plays, his style of play, his intensity, um, his success on the, you know, on the Olympic stage as well. W- why is this guy not a face of the NBA? I don't I don't really I, I don't get it.
1: I just want to add on uh, real quick. He's also maintained his turnover percentage while take while, while taking a huge role. He has the same exact turnover percentage as last season. That's crazy. Despite overhauling his role. And then you also mentioned his mid-range, his mid-range efficiency. He's in the 99th percentile all four of the last four seasons in terms of volume from the mid-range. I sent you that tweet last night from NBA university. Um, He's taken more mid-range shots than like anyone in the top or he's taken the most mid-range shots of anyone in the league this season um, or maybe the second most. And he has by far the best efficiency of anyone near the top 10. He's just, he's a unicorn when it comes to self creating good high floor shots. And to add to your point about why, or not, uh, to add to your question about why he's not more of a face of the league, when you can create high floor buckets like this consistently, that correlates with strong success in the playoffs because defenses get tighter. You're not going to be able to get as many of these open threes. If you can do this in spite of whatever defense is thrown at you, you're going to just consistently be able to score at a high level. And we saw him break out in the playoffs last season. Like we, like they didn't have, you know, they were, they were missing guys. They were dealing with injuries. They ended up losing in six to Denver, the inevitable, the eventual champions. And Booker was, amazing in the playoffs and that's even more reason for the league to start being like, start featuring this guy more. Uh, You know, I, I, I don't really have many theories. I know that there are people who aren't a huge fan of his personality, I guess, like on the court, you know, he seems a bit whiny, I guess. I don't don't know. Like you just see, you just see him. It seems like he is involved in more tiffs than, a guy his uh, of his impact level seemed to be in you know Luca, clay thompson like booker is always he he doesn't seem very well liked by um non-teammates of his and i mean he got into it with paolo the other day paolo called him a bitch on the court there was that viral clip of paolo being like dude stop being a bitch you've been crying all game you know and uh I'm, i'm not saying this is reason for him to not be the face of the league but i i I'm just surmising like maybe he's just not the most like player. I I have no idea because he certainly deserves to be one of the young faces of the league in terms of his impact and just how not not only his impact, but how much fun it is to watch him when he's going because he is just one of the purest, for lack of a better word, hoopers in the league. The dude can just fucking ball and he's great
0: yeah i it, it's a good good question and and maybe it has something to do with it I, I definitely think i i don't feel like it's controversial to say that devin booker is a bit of a whiner so that <laughs> maybe that has something to do with it um it, you know again going through our reserves um for the front court in the western conference we have devin booker's teammate kevin durant we think should surprise no one um anthony davis here and paul george as well as our three front court players um yeah any any one of those specific guys you want to talk about i think they all have like interesting stories that you know we can we can cover but they do do i mean i mean paul
1: george this isn't a question so much about paul george but i i do think i mean if i recall correctly xj before the clippers broke out you were very high on the clippers ceiling weren't you when we, we had this discussion, you know, a few months ago and you were basically yeah. like, Yeah, yeah, I think this team can win a championship.
0: And before before they got hardened or after they got hardened?
1: It was after I think it was after they got hardened, and we were talking about what the ceiling for this team can be. And I think yeah. you were the one I think I was a little bit more down on them. Yeah. And I think you said, No, I think this team is a legit championship contender i could be wrong about
0: that no no i did i did i said that on, i said that on our pod and i said that on a different one as well of a, a, a feature that i did yeah i have always been very high on this this team ceiling and i i thought it was really funny when they when they had hearted and then they went on like a they lost like their first four games or the first five games and everybody was like oh this didn't work this is gar-. it's just like and then i think harden came out and said Oh, when we figure it out, it's gonna be scary hours, you know, like whatever. And everybody was laughing at him, and I was like, "I this is I wouldn't laugh at him. I don't know." And then, yeah, now they're a they're a monster.
1: But also remember, they started Russ the first few games.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, there you go. When and we figure this out, Matt. When we figure out, we need to not have Westbrook out there with us. Yeah. <laughs> um, I
1: just. This team is—I mean, to steal Harden's lingo—this team is scary. Um, It's—it's actually shocking to me how willing George and Leonard have been to sort of slide into lesser roles, which is probably smart given their age and the wear and tear on their body and their injury history. And all of a sudden, Harden is creating so much of the advantage, so many of the advantages for them. And George and Kawhi are basically just advantage attack. Like, like they're just, their self-creation is down. Um, and it's just working perfectly. Like I know, I know you said, um, when we talked about the Eastern conference teams that Harden is one of the few stars whose usage is sub 20%. But I think all that does is represent how flawed a stat usage is because it doesn't, Consider assist percentage. Um, well, just just, just to say
0: real quick, yeah. I, on that note, I mean, I don't like usage, but I, I I wouldn't describe it as like a flawed stat. I would describe it as just like a like it is what it is right like there's only so much you can interpret from usage and i think people use it to interpret more from it than it actually conveys which is not the fault of the stat it's the fault of the people using it in that way so but yeah in essence i agree with you but i just think it's just it is what it is it just says what it says you know
1: is there uh to 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 bring it back and by the way uh, i you know i brought a or i seemingly threw shade at russ and we we talked about how taking russ has been good this season russ has been a good role player for them and he is another example of someone who has slid into a role and just accepted like like i i think there are a few issues uh the main issue to me is that both Terrence mann and norman powell have not been very good this season and I think if they're going to win at the highest level, they are going to need more gravity from their non-big three. I think they're going to need a little bit more shooting. And I think it's possible to get that from Powell and Mann. I think they've shown it in the past. And by the way, Powell's shooting 45% from three. I just mean like his overall impact hasn't been great this season. But maybe, maybe with how good George, Leonard, and Harden are, just the shooting is enough. Like if just Powell brings shooting, that that that'll be enough. But I guess my point is, is that I do think. Do, do you think XJ that they have enough, or do you think that they're going to need to make a trade and bring in a little bit more shooting to to get to the top?
0: I I think they have enough. Um, I I don't think they need to make a trade. I think I could imagine them making a deal um, for a wing type that can shoot really pretty well, maybe a, a two guard wing type that can shoot, but I don't really think they need it. Like, I think they have enough. If these guys stay healthy and health is always the concern. And I think that's what I brought up when we talked about them before. It's just like, obviously the big, the elephant in the room is like contingent on them staying healthy. they will be a championship contender to me right now. They're the championship favorite. And I think that's without making a move. Like I, 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 cause over, I, I
1: over Boston,
0: yeah over boston I, I i'm at that i'm at that stage where i'm moving them forward into the championship favorite uh, status and that is big because you you and i both love boston what they do what they've done there like their approach obviously i'm incredibly high in their approach having you know five out shooting a ton of threes that is like my dream situation i just think i and it's not not just for like health reasons, but like I just think there's a limited reliability with some of their guys. Um, Jalen Brown, um, Porzingis can be up and down at times. I don't know if I like trust those guys. I think if these guys are healthy, Harden, Paul George, and Leonard, they're just going to be what they are, and they work together so flawlessly. Like it's the kind of synergy that. We, I think we don't often think about a ton because at least for me, I think when I think about synergy, I think of like, you know, an offensive play, like a, a high level guard and a high level defensive center or something like that, or a guy, a pick and roll partners or, um, you know, guys who create off the dribble and, and guys who can spot up really well, like those kinds of synergistic dynamics. For me, it's just like the fact that Harden can, and you, you, you mentioned it, He creates such an advantage that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard like attacking an advantage is crazy. Like it makes those guys like unstoppable. What can you do with them? Um, they both can create for themselves like very well at an extremely high level. Now, if they're getting the ball, attacking a defense, a defense that is out of sorts already, they're not stoppable. Those guys are not stoppable. And the only thing I would say is that I don't know that I believe Kawhi Leonard's. 44% 44% shooting from three. I I, I I don't know that I'm buying that. I, I will say he shot 41% last year and 40% the year before. So I do think he is like an incredible three-point shooter, uh, underrated three-point shooter. In fact, um, he shot 44% from three um, uh, one of the years in San, uh, in San Antonio. So I do think he's an incredible three-point shooter. I don't think that that's not real. Also has always been near 90% from the free throw line for the last like seven years. So I, I think the shooting's real. I just don't know if he's at that level, but it could just be because, you know, more of his threes are coming off off the catch and uh you probably have the numbers in front of you. I don't know what the percentage is, but um but then and then also just this the is, fact this that... this is
1: George, right?
0: No, I'm talking about Kawhi.
1: Oh, okay, sorry. I um i uh, i don't i don't have the numbers in front of me keep going though.
0: so i just no i just pulled it up so percent assisted uh he uh, Kawhi is being assisted on 70 68.5 of his three pointers which is which is you know that's 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 relatively high for him it's not high for the league it's still only ninth percentile in the league but but yeah, I, I just think that these guys really work so well together, those three. And then having Zubach down there again, as long as he's healthy, I think it's just it just works so perfectly. And 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 Westbrook off the bench, he's really, you know, doubled his effort and and refocused on the defensive end. And he's having probably one of his best defensive seasons of his career, one of his best seasons since I would say maybe the Houston days, honestly. So I just think I think it all works. I think I believe in Powell as a, a shooter. I think Powell's shooting has always been real. So I, I think that he'll kind of get it together as much as he possibly can in the other ways, but shooting's going to be real. And I don't know if anybody would suggest this. So maybe this is crazy, but I do think bones Highland is going to be a factor at some point down the line here. Um, you know, he started off the season horribly and then wait, wait,
1: wait, wait, what, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> what are we talking about here? Like a factor half, like he's a gonna fa- give a motiva- he's gonna give a motivational speech before a game. <laughs> or
0: I think I think um, I think he'll be a factor in terms of playing spot minutes in the playoffs and coming through in big moments, hitting shots. I do think so. Um, so I, is he even in the rotation right now? Um. Well, when he I mean, he's not healthy, so he he came back and played like ten minutes recently against Boston. Um, he he had a DNP coach's decision earlier, but like, I think, I think he'll, I think he'll, I think he'll make the rotation and I think he'll play good minutes And that. This is, I'm going out on a limb here. I'm not, I'm not saying Man, this. Like, this, this, this is, is a like, limb.
1: this is, this is a limb. This is, this is going out on a limb, but
0: you know what's you know what the best part about going out on a limb is, is that, In the playoffs, I can clip this, and then when it happens, it's gonna look crazy. It's gonna look so prescient. It's gonna look insane, and I'm gonna include all of this in it. But no,
1: this uh, is this is this. You you don't get to do that because anytime (laughs) any any anytime anytime somebody else says something ridiculous and they end up being right, you always say no. That's not proof that your process was good. It's proof. Yes,
0: but I do have a process for it. Bones
1: Island. If Bones Island ends up balling out in the playoffs, I'm not gonna think any differently about what you're saying right now. I'm still Time gonna out. think what,
0: why is why is why is Bones Highland bad as a player? As an offensive player, why is Bones Highland bad and like incapable of being like a, a useful piece in, in the playoffs?
1: Because he doesn't shoot off the catch um like he he's not super comfortable shooting off the catch. He's much more comfortable shooting off the bounce. And if Bones Highland has the ball enough in his hands to develop a rhythm your offense isn't going to be good. Like he's that he's that catch twenty two of offense heavy player. Like you know he's a worse Cam Thomas basically. Cam Thomas <laughs> than- There's no worse Cam Thomas. I'm
0: sorry, but It's Yes, it is. <laughs> I disagree with you. I, I I think that Bones Island has a bad reputation now, and I do think that I I think that. So I'm okay. I I finally pulled up his stats. Per EPM, offensive EPM in his rookie season was plus <laughs> you found 1.3. Them, huh?
1: you, you scrolled down enough to find them?
0: Yeah, I just pulled them <laughs> up. So 1.3, uh, plus 1.3 offensive EPM in his first season, plus 0.7 offensive EPM in his second season. Those are both 79th percentile or higher. Um, shot 37% from three second season, 37% his first season. Always been a mid-80s uh, percent three point, uh, free throw shooter. I think Bones Highland can be a useful piece in spot minutes and a championship run. And I think that that is a justified opinion. And so based on his shooting, based on his offensive impact that we've seen in all of his career, it's only two years, all of his career besides this year, and uh and i think that we'll see that come to fruition but it, obviously my case for the the clippers being the championship is um championship favorites is not contingent on bones highland it's about what i was talking about with with the synergy between um Harden, paul george and Kawhi leonard and i think it's just rare that you have a quote-unquote big three Um, with players who are that good offensively who fit together that well. You can have big threes, but oftentimes when you have a big three, there's offensive redundancy among that big three. And this is a big three who I don't think has very much offensive redundancy, which is incredible. So I think that that's, to me, why I would put them up there.
1: It's so funny that you say that because I was I was legitimately going to ask you, have we ever seen a big three that like fits together this well and is this synergetic and they're all shooting over 40% from three. They're all like, I mean, we props to James Harden dude is defending his ass ass off this season. He's like, I don't know why maybe it's because he was, you know asked to do way more in Houston but and he has he has elite hands by the way like the the way he's able to get into passing lanes the way he's able to you know if somebody tries to take him to drive past him or take him in the mid post he gets you know a lot of steals he's in the 72nd percentile and steal percentage um
0: in his Houston yeah. days he was one of the steel leaders in the NBA for for, yeah. for many of those years so That was, that
1: was proof that his defense was underrated in Houston. (laughs) Um, I, um, yeah, I, I, I shouldn't have, yeah, I shouldn't have been as dismissive, I guess, about Bones Highland. I, I think I'm just, I think, I think, I think I'm still just put off because, uh, there was a Knicks fan who tweeted, uh, this is who everybody wants Emmanuel quickly to be and post <laughs> a picture of Jones Highland. And that fucking infuriated me. So, you know,
0: that's like a parody, dude. That's like, that's a parody. That's, that's yeah. like funny. That's not a, that's not a real take. That's not the take that I gave, obviously. Yeah. You,
1: you, you just think he's going to be instrumental to their title run. That's it. That's it. You just
0: think. <laughs> I think he'll play spot minutes are going to be critical. Like there's always, I mean, okay. There's always a player like that in a title there run. There is, I agree. It's, and I think yeah. he can be that player because you said, should they make a deal? Do they need to make a deal to get somebody? And it, what are you going to get on the trade market? Really, like I, what are they going to get on the trade market? Really, like I imagine that they're going to get a guy who's going to play spot minutes, is going to play like 14 minutes per game, and is going to be able to make an impact in small periods during their playoff run. So I think they already have a guy like that. I think Bones Island is going to be that guy. That's all I'm saying. So Not that they wouldn't win without would, him, obviously.
1: I would bet that. When the Clippers make the playoffs, if they're healthy, this is very contingent uh, contingent on them being healthy. They're just going to have an eight man rotation, like they're just they're starting with the these
0: guys out. with these freaking yeah. uh, uh, injury prone players. They're just going to run eight men out there and play the and play Paul George forty minutes and Kawhi Leonard forty minutes. Yeah, I think well, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. I, I I and and, and I a thirty five year old James Harden.
1: I don't think they need to play um, those guys 40 minutes to run an eight man rotation um, because this isn't like a Tibbs thing. These guys all play multiple positions. There's lots, there's lots of versatility across uh, their, their roles um, in, in a, in a, in a game, there's only 240 minutes. So, you know, you got eight guys. Um, I think you can, I think you can get them to settle in at, you know, 36 to 38 minutes a night in the playoffs and you're just putting
0: fine. a lot of confidence into like Terrence Mann who I don't have a ton of confidence in. Like I assume he's part of your 8 man rotation. Of course. Yeah, I just don't have the confidence in Terrence Mann. Like I've never been the Terrence Mann I don't really get the Terrence Mann hype, like I don't really understand it. So I I don't think I think you're if you're playing Terrence Mann enough minutes that you only need to do an eight man rotation. I think he's killing you in those minutes, uh, like against playoff cool. rosters. Yeah, I think that you're. I think that 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 can you be the Terrence difference. That can be the difference killing, between a title.
1: You think Terrence Mann is killing you, but that Bones Highland can help you. I can't. I don't know how we.
0: Bones married. Highland. I'm talking about Bones Highland playing like ten minutes. You're talking about Terrence Mann playing like twenty five minutes. This is a big difference.
1: Yeah, I guess. I guess I'm just higher on man than you. I don't know. I don't. I just think. I mean. He's literally been—I'm not going to say spearheaded, but been a big part of a playoff run already. Like th- their ability to just stick him out there, and you know, with, with the Paul George lineups when when Kawhi was hurt in twenty twenty one, twenty twenty one, that was a huge part of that. Man, man, and go small against Utah—they literally made the Western Conference Finals.
0: Yeah, that was his best like stretch of of NBA basketball of his career. Like I don't, I don't know why I would expect that to happen again. What, what he has not had a full season that's been as good as that playoff run, and this well, season I mean, his, he's been his, his, pretty next, bad. his twenty-five.
1: His twenty-five year old season was pretty good. Um, I agree. This season he's been underwhelming. I that's part was, but one of my concerns about the Clippers is that as good as their big three is, and as good as Zubats is, I, I don't know how much they have outside of that. And if you're telling me that. Bones Island getting spot minutes is part of it. I'm not so sure I'm as... Uh, if, Terrence uh, Mann, gun- if Terrence Mann
0: if Terrence Man plays like like even as well as he played last year which wasn't that great on net like they're they're clearly the championship favorite in my opinion. Like I'm not even including Terrence Mann in my evaluation is like, and, and and I know you're you're being funny about it, but I'm not, Bones Highland being being a part of the rotation is not like a contingency for their championship. I just said that I think you he can help them. I'm not saying like, well, if Bones Highland doesn't show up, then they're not, I would change their ranking. Like that's not, that's yeah. not a, it's not a contingency for me. I'm just saying that I, that was a separate, <laughs> a separate point that I was making. You have Terrence Mann as being like like critical to the success of the team and and being like right am I right or wrong
1: I wouldn't say critical I think that I just think they're gonna my point was that I think they're going to all play enough minutes that I don't think Bones Highland's gonna see the court in a meaningful playoff run
0: okay yeah I don't don't think
1: Terrence I don't think Terrence Mann has to like be even as good as he was in that 2021 playoff run I just think he has to hold his own defensively and not shoot terribly when he's asked to shoot. Um Yeah.
0: He can't shoot 31% from three or else correct. he may be out of yeah. the playoff rotation, but I, uh, that's fair. I that's fair.
1: Uh, but can like, I ask, something, yeah. Uh, go ahead. There you go. I was just going to say something like their big three plus Powell plus Zubas will probably be their most used lineup.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
1: And then you, and then you have Russ and you have Mann and you have one of the backups, uh one of the backup bigs to spare Zubats when they're not going small whether that's Tice or Plumley. Mhm. I to me that's their playoff rotation. Um and Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. I think that I think that's fair, but regardless, we have the Clippers with um you know three all-stars which is incredible um who all fit seamlessly together again to recap Kawhi leonard james harden and paul george we have all in um harden and george as the reserves our final two reserves are the wild cards in the west we have larry marketing and we have steph curry um i think that it's just kind of funny that steph curry here is at least to me, clearly the most controversial selection uh, for the All-Star team. And that's kind of funny to say. Like, I wouldn't imagine, you know, I would say that. But I think that when we talked about who it should be, it was down in terms of the wild card. It was down between Curry and Anthony Edwards. And there's a compelling case on either side of it. And I don't know if you want to talk about that or just talk about Curry in general.
1: I would like to... First of all, I do think we need to dive into that. So let's just – I just want to push that conversation back for a second. I, I'm going to say something that I think you're going to find blasphemous. I was incredibly, incredibly underwhelmed by watching Larry marketing against the Knicks last night. I thought it was –
0: Dude, it's not blasphemous. It was like one game that he was, he was bad in that game. That, that's not blasphemous. Like, he was objectively bad in that game.
1: He was bad in a way that I was like, are we sure? Like, are we sure? You know, like, like I, I know the data. Like, I, I, players are allowed to have bad games, but it's not like he just shot bad. He got fucking fed his lunch by Precious Achua. Like, he couldn't do anything. And so we joke all the time, me and you have been joking, you know, the last week or two about how Colin Sexton's ascension, like Colin views this as his team now, you know, like, and, and and Sexton and Clarkson are sort of like suppressing Lowry's role. And that's not good for the jazz, but I guess I'm concerned or not concerned. I'm curious, like how much more really is there for Lowry? Because I'm, I think the more I watch him, the more I realize he's more reliant on... it. Like, he would be perfect on the Clippers with Harden, for example. Because I think he actually is reliant on an advantage being created for him.
0: Um, Yeah, I... I agree with that. Like, I that's okay. that's always been. I mean, okay. So I'll say the reason why Lowry marketing is one of my favorite players in the NBA is because not because he, he can't self create. That's always been the 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 issue for Jazz fans specifically. So like, I'm connected with a few Jazz communities, and that's the that's the issue. It's like they're always, oh he can't create. Ah, oh, when it's at the end of the game, you know you can't go to Lowry. That's always been the knock on Lowry marketing the past two years. And I think that that's fine. I just don't value that as much as I value what he can do off ball and the gravity that he has and the way that he can cash in when advantages are created in terms of his spot up shooting being the one one of the best spot up shooters in the league across two years. um, We see his impact. I, I think players, there's no there's not many players who can impact the game as immensely as he can without having the ball in his hands. And that's why I love him as a player so much. Not because I think... They need to run sets. You know, they they can run sets from all. As, in, in terms of coming off, off ball screens and stuff, but I I don't think it's like they need to have Lowry run high pick and roll. Like I yeah, that's yeah. not the kind of player he is. And and if you're trying to do that, that, there's a reason why they run things through Sexton and through Clarkson when he's on the court. And it's not because those guys are better players than him, but they're just better at that role. And he needs a player who is better than those guys are at that role. So that's that i don't i don't think i saw anything that was like different than what i yeah understood I, guess, from I guess it Markin. just see
1: it just seemed like stark to me or it stood out to me i guess i i expected more um and, and it's not like this is my first time watching lowry i watched a ton of him it was just like a very jarring performance i guess in 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 the sense of how limited he is but i guess if i'm trying to fully understand to try and simplify and fully understand your perspective Let's say, you know, we're looking at like NBA 2K rankings and let's say, you know, NBA 2K has Lowry as a 90 and Julius Randle as a 92. Your perspective basically is that, OK, that might be true, but pair Lowry with a Jalen Brunson and the sum of their parts will be closer to 100% of their individual ratings than if you paired Julius Randle. Is that is that kind of what you're saying?
0: No, I would say that that's wrong. I would say that they shouldn't have Randall as a 92 and Lowry as a 90. Yeah, I would say that that's a that's a bad rating I, because I think that the I think that that he brings off ball value that is that is greater than the on ball value that Randall brings and, and net when we're talking about like overall. Um, so what I mean by that is if you have Lowry on the court, your team is going to perform better than if you have Randall on the court. All things equal. Um, Obviously, if you put them in roles that are not good for them, right? Like if I if I put Randall in Lowry's role, it'd be awful. Like it'd be it wouldn't make any sense, right? It'd be like this is is Randall's garbage. And if I put Lowry in Randall's role, it'd be like what are you like? This guy's not as good. This guy's a fraud or whatever, right? Like that's what that's what we would say. But all of his role contingent, right? So to me, it's like. That goes back to what I was saying about um, the Derek White thing where we're like, okay, like we have these roles and we're saying you get extra credit if you're in this primary creator on ball role. And, and, and if you're doing this other role, it's not as valuable. But I don't think that's inherently the case. I think that that's the case in many situations, but I don't think it's inherently that this role is more valuable than the other one. So what I, that's why I make the argument as far as like offensive impact player. Clearly, Larry Markin is a better offensive impact player than Julius Randle. Now, if you put them in the wrong roles, then things are going to change. But overall, you know, obviously the data supports this. I think Lowry is, is is head and shoulders a better offensive impact player than Julius Randall overall.
1: But even, I don't want to say ignoring roles, but even if you put them close to their ideal roles so that they're maximized,
0: yes, don't exactly. you agree?
1: Don't don't you agree that a team with Lowry and a, a co-star who can help maximize, uh, like his skill set or put him in the ideal role. Don't you think that is more likely to return a hundred percent of its value than a team with a guy like Randall? Who? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For sure. So that, that, So when you, what you like most about Markkinen is like the additive nature of his impact. It's just, it's just always correct there.
0: Correct. Yes. Yeah. And 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 some of my favorite players in the NBA are those guys. A Desmond Bain, right? We've seen it with Desmond Bain. Like you put him in this wrong role for him and it's like, oh, like he's not that good. It's like, well, I, I'm not saying he's good at at being John Morant. Like, I'm not saying he's he's the best at this and so he can do a John Morant impersonation. I'm not saying Lowry Markkinen is the best at this, so he can do a Julius Randle impersonation. Like those are those are different things. And to me, you know role contingency is critical to all evaluations i was just saying that i agree with what you were saying as far as like being bigger than the sum of their parts marking and being a better piece for that yes and i also think he's a, in a vacuum a better player than julius randall overall so that i was just agreeing to that and disagreeing with the other part that randall would be a 92 and lowry would be like a 90 or whatever
1: yeah i guess i was just saying i was i was making those the ratings to to kind of emphasize the points the point that even if in a vacuum in an individual vacuum, as the star on a team, you view Randall as slightly higher because you value self-creation. It's still possible that markin would be quote unquote more valuable because when you put them on team builds where there's another star markin's more likely to confer Correct. or r- return close to a hundred percent of his value than Randall is like once you, you know, Correct. And I, you know, we're past talking about the Knicks, but I do think it actually is quite amazing how Brunson and Randall have figured out a way to they, they, they we talked about synergy early. They have basically no synergy. They don't they don't they don't play together on the court at all. Aside from when one of them is in trouble, they kick it out to the other. And, <laughs> okay, now it's your turn. But they run no two man action. There's no pick and roll dancing at all between the two of them. It's basically just a your turn, my turn thing, and they found a way to both be incredibly effective players. Uh, Yeah. Well, I think do you do you wonder if there's a ceiling to that? You
0: know, I think that's why getting rid of RJ Barrett, getting rid of, I'm sorry, trading RJ Barrett has been such a boon for them because they were doing that and then they also had to fit this other player in somehow that needed some of that. And it's like, we, there's no room for this. We can't also accommodate you. Like we we can barely accommodate the two of us, right? Like, so I think that there's enough usage to go around to do a your turn, my turn dynamic with two players. But once you have three, it's just, this is just, this is way too much. So I think that's why that's such a huge additive change for them um, kind of trading RJ Barrett and bringing in somebody who requires much less of that, an OG and an Obi, And I think that's why we've seen some success from the Knicks after losing Randall, Although they played, you know, teams who aren't very good. We've still seen success from them because I don't think, you know, Randall is additive enough that he really substantially changes what their ceiling is. Um, when you have a guy like Jalen Brunson.
1: Yeah. And You know, speaking of ceiling, I I think Steph Curry is the ultimate ceiling player. Like I think as we've seen, if there's one player almost in NBA history who can impact your ceiling without uh, mitigating or diminishing the impact of another player on your team, it is Steph Curry. I think that's basically why we ultimately made this decision. And I guess I just want to start by saying because it really did come down to Curry versus Edwards. And I don't want to, you know, separate myself from XJ because this is a decision we ultimately made together. But I do think it's fair to say, and I hope you don't mind me saying it. I was a bit more sympathetic to the idea that like, okay, like Edwards and Curry are very close in terms of impact or at least sort of close in terms of impact. One is the best player on the best team in the West. One is the best player on a team that wouldn't even be in the plan right now maybe that should just be the decision and that's probably the decision that coaches are going to ultimately, well I'd imagine both Steph and Edwards get in actually on on the actual all-star team. But um, I I am very sympathetic to that. So I, I, I think your opinion is actually more important here because while I do understand why Steph is just a better and more valuable player like in a vacuum just because, everything we've always talked about across these last, you know, 15 weeks or whatever, the additive nature of his impact, just how valuable his gravity is. Um, I do think if you're isolating it just for these first 40 some odd games, it's a bit more nuanced. And so I think, you know, I'd love to hear you break down why you think even across a season like this, even when the Timberwolves have been so good and the Warriors have been so wildly mediocre, why you think that Steph's impact has been greater than Edwards.
0: Yeah, I am. So I'm going to be extreme on this one. Uh, And I feel like I've been oddly extreme across these all-star, our all-star choice conversations, which is kind of funny, but I, I don't weigh team success at all in this discussion. Like it's not, even like the only way i would weigh it is if teams were like or two players were almost exactly the same and it was like a tiebreaker but in terms of like trying to figure out who should make the all-star team team success is essentially irrelevant to me um and this is because when you make this team success argument you are essentially punishing a player for having worse teammates uh, for which he has no control over right like it it doesn't matter what the team success is because the team success is not, it only matters insofar as like the player is responsible for the team success. Like if, if Anthony Edwards, let's say was, um, on the Warriors, I think there's no chance they'd even be as good as they have been um, with with Draymond in and out with, <clears throat> excuse me, Andrew Wiggins, who's been, you know, and, I, and I've said this to you over text, I think has been the most damaging individual player in the entire NBA with regard to the number of games he's played, the number of minutes he's played, and how bad he's been. I think there's no player in the NBA who's been as damaging as Andrew Wiggins. Um, and... Steph Curry has to play with Andrew Wiggins, you know, and, 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 and there could be a whole host of reasons for it. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to speculate, but, and this is not who Wiggins has been over the course of his career, even at his worst points in Minnesota. He hasn't been like this, you know, besides maybe like his rookie season. But I just think that you're essentially saying, sorry, Steph, you're, you're playing with Wiggins and this crew that's been awful. And like, a you know, this, this, Awful version of Kavon Looney and and you know Draymond being in and out and all these situations and injured Chris Paul and, and 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 sorry that's your situation so you're not an All Star if 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 we're making All Star about team success then to me I we would have a different entirely different All Star All Star team then um, and that would just be a different. It would just be a different team, right? It would be about like actually Mensa, um, you know who who I, I do a pod with uh, at Nick's Film School and on Casual Friday at Nick's Film School. Mensa thinks that the All Star team should be um, based on team success because he thinks the All Star team, the All Star game, should be a vehicle to incentivize winning. And if this was a vehicle to incentivize winning then i would say yeah for sure you can do it that way but if we're talking about who's individually been excuse me the best or most impactful or most valuable players in the league and that's who we're going to put in team success is just not a relevant factor to that because we have to imagine the players if swapped in terms of their situations what those outcomes would be so that's 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 why it's not really a relevant factor to me
1: and we talked about this like if you flip you you talked about it the other way if you flipped curry and edwards and put curry on minnesota like that's a championship favorite
0: the title favorite yeah um
1: just a perfect like not perfect but i mean with towns the shooting and mcdaniel's defense and conley is like a worse like conley can do a little bit with the ball in his hands but he can he he's best used when he can just shoot and defend and Curry would allow him to do that. Um, but then if Curry wanted to play off ball, Conley can run the offense. Um, and that's doesn't even mention uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, whose defense has been incredible, uh, shooting 37% from three, which is fine. So, yeah, I this is a tough one for me, because these impact metrics are, as we acknowledge all the time, are imperfect. And they are the best we have at fully trying to capture and gather um, true impact across, you know, any subset of games, but they are also fluctuating from game to game. And it's just, it's not impossible to me that they're just not fully capturing something that Edwards is doing. That's helping the team ascend to where they are. And it's maybe overrating things that, or underrating things that Curry's not doing that have held them back. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that that's true. I'm just saying that, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm starting from the conclusion and that's my flaw. Maybe I'm just starting from, well, Edwards team is the one seed and Curry's team is the 11 seed. And I'm looking for reasons to confirm why we, we should weigh that heavier. It's just, I can't, properly capture it but just something there's just some. it just feels gross to me i guess you know because <laughs> they are they they are close enough where i just feel like yeah edwards should just get the even if it even if it's you know mm-hmm. 100 to a 92 or something like i it just feels like the t wolves having zero all-stars it's just like i mean credit to chris finch credit to the depth of that team but there's just something feels off about that and it wouldn't surprise me people are like what are you guys fucking stupid? That doesn't make us wrong. I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I totally hear that. I this is an this is an argument I feel really confident in. I'd be happy to you know for people to drop comments, you know, disagreeing and, and and weighing in on what you know why they think you know the team success is 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 very relevant to choosing all stars, um, and I'd be open to hearing the, that feedback. For me, it's just like you have to be able to independently extract like what you think this player is contributing in a vacuum and we can't do that right like that's that's a goal that we can have it can be aspirational but we'll never be successful at it so we have to do the best we can at both imagining it using the data that we have but that's like my goal that's my end goal so like if someone's end goal is to again like i said for reward teams or reward winning or incentivize winning that's a different end goal and i don't have that one um, so so that that's where i start from and so and i would also say you know i think if a team is successful it makes sense to look at like wait how who are their best players and how are those what are those players doing to like cause or be responsible for the success i think that's a natural inclination to have it makes a lot of sense i just don't think that because it's intuitive that it's necessarily correct, because I think that, I think that there is a lot more to having, you know, if I look at the wolves, you know, having Conley play at a level where, you know, I I wasn't strongly considering him for an all-star reserve, but he was not, it's not crazy to consider him as an all-star, right? It's also not crazy to consider Rudy Gobert as an all-star. It's also not crazy to consider Carl Anthony Towns as an all-star, right? So we have, four guys essentially that are like sub ish all-stars with Nikhil Alexander Walker, who's had one of the best defensive impact seasons in the league right now. If you have guys at this like consistent high level, then it makes sense that they would be so good without having a guy who is at the level of a Steph Curry. And I think it's close between Curry and Edwards, but I think it's clearly Curry to me right now. Um, so that's what I would say.
1: Yeah. And you know, we talk about it, defense is a lot, defensive impact metrics are a lot shakier than offensive impact metrics. So if, you know, overall EPM, for example, has the two players as close, but one player is gathering more of his uh, value from defense and than offense, it's probably fair to weigh the offense-heavy player a little bit higher just because those, uh, those metrics are closer to shore, closer to accurate, I guess. Is, is that fair to say?
0: Closer to, uh, you can be more confident in them is how I would phrase right. it probably. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do think that we should, in spite of him not making our team, I do think that Edwards and, you know, another guy who didn't make our team Chet Holmgren deserve flowers of some sort. Um, however good you think his teammates are Edwards has been the best player on the team that, you know, is sitting at the top of the West right now. And we talked about them. Uh, this is another team that you talked about. You think can just be in the championship can picture right now. You know, that when we talked about the Timberwolves a month ago, again, I was a little bit skeptical and you were like, I don't know. I think they just have enough. And I think you've come down a little bit after, you know, seeing, watching them more. And yeah, I think, the concern that you expressed to me is okay. I'm just not sure how this team's going to score enough in the in the big moments, which is a reasonable concern. But you know, they're 47 games in. They're half a game up on Denver. Uh, they're two full games up on the Clippers, who you just said a few minutes ago are your championship favorite, who have had lots of health luck. You know, George and Harden, Kawhi have pretty much. All played the full season. So it is impressive what the Timberwolves are doing. And you look at Edwards specifically. I mean, he's improved at the rim, he's improved from the mid-range, small improvement, and he's still not great. He's improved as a three-point shooter. Um, he's doing all these things. He's self-creating a ton of their offense. He is the driving factor in their offense, and this says nothing of the fact that, um, he once again is near the top of the league in defensive EPM. So uh, at, at 22 years old, Edwards is an amazing player. And maybe he's not, uh, not, that it, not that anyone really cares, but maybe he's not a hot hand theory all-star this year, but it, would, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, down the line, he's just, he's very easily in year after year.
0: Yeah, I think that's well said. I'm glad you I'm glad you capped it by, you know, giving those guys their flowers, because, you know, obviously, whenever you do all star teams, a lot of guys are deserving and it's just a zero sum game because you you have to eliminate some and and some have to get in. So Um, and I'm I'm glad we did the hard work of deciding who we were eliminating and who we were um, having get in, because a lot of these conversations are like this guy should be an all-star how is he not an all-star it's like well who should not be an all-star then and and we've made those determinations so we have our hot hand theory all-star team for both the eastern conference and the western conference um for the west again just to recap our starters are sga luka Jokic, lebron Kawhi. our reserves are james harden booker durant ad paul george lowry marketing and steph curry uh, yeah, this is a great conversation. I'm glad we did it. Our first ever hot hand theory all-star team is in the books and looking forward to the next one. Hope you all enjoyed it. Please subscribe, leave a like for us. Uh, we really appreciate it. And especially more than anything, drop a comment with your thoughts and you know, we respond to every single comment that goes in YouTube. Like literally go look at our history. We've responded to every single comment. Um, so please drop a comment and we'll engage and, and we'll love to hear your thoughts. So thank you so much.